Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes. This is for the week ending September 3rd, 2021. This is our 98th video cast and 88th podcast. So welcome. We'll start off with our media spots because we cover a lot of material in a short period of time. Then we'll go to all the new content for this week. And you'll want to grab a pen and paper if you're in front of a computer because there's a lot to cover and a lot of good stuff at that. So uh, first off, I'd like to thank Liz. Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett for having me on Fox Business, the Clayman Countdown, on Friday of last week after our last podcast. And this was uh, this segment was in anticipation of Hurricane Ida, which was tropical storm at that time. Uh, we just talked about you know 17% of uh, U.S. oil production is out of the Gulf, 45% of refining capacity, uh, and that any spike. Uh, in oil may be offset uh, on Wednesday, which came this week, where the OPEC did in fact uh, continue along with their production increases of 400,000 barrels a day each month until the end of 2022. And what we were saying was to use the opportunity in the last uh, four to eight weeks, the energy sector has sold off. So on any weakness, it was a great opportunity on the produ uh, producer side to add EOG on the uh, transport side to add uh, energy transfer and refining to add Phillips 66. We also talked a bit about the Fed uh, and the reopening trade. And uh, basically what I said was it was a dovish taper out of Jackson Hole and that while everyone was clear coming out of this meeting that the uh, they were going to announce taper in September and uh, implement in October or implement before year end, I was a little cautious because although all of the governors came out very hawkish, Chair Powell came out very dovish and uh, distinguished that while they had made substantial further progress on inflation, they had only made clear progress on, uh, on employment. And his priority since day one has been full employment. We've reemphasized that over and over on the weekly podcasts and video casts. And we saw today, which we'll get into a little bit more, that he would be data dependent. And the data today and an abysmal miss on the uh, jobs report gives them cover now, certainly not to announce a taper in September, push the announcement off to November, there is no October meeting, and then to implement either December or in line with what we've been saying for six months, which is I think it'll be an early 2022 event. Uh, that's number one. Number two was that uh, he made a clear distinction that rate rises are separate from tapering and even if they did do taper before the end of the year um, uh, rate rises would be a long way off i.e earliest end of 2022 and more likely what we've been saying early 2023 uh, so the market liked that dovishness uh, we on that initial announcement, the market was up, uh, the reopening trade was up, and we said to be looking for looking at small caps, have done nothing for since February, basically, so now we're going on seven months. Um, and then the reopening trade that we laid out was Boeing, had just been approved for the 737 MAX in India the night before. China is in the process, and they won't do it because they want to lend an olive branch they'll do it because they need the planes 
and uh, and they'll get that reapproved the 737 Max. And if you look at a uh, Boeing versus Airbus at the time of that uh, segment last Friday, Boeing was up 3% year to date, Airbus was up 28%. And we also like the exposure to the defense sector uh, with everything happening and bubbling up in the Middle East. We think that once you get the approval in China on the 737 MAX, that that divergence between Airbus and Boeing, Airbus being up 28%, Boeing being up 3% is going to narrow. Uh, we think that, uh, and it's gonna narrow to Boeing's favor rocketing higher. We think this is a $300 stock over the next 12 to 24 months and maybe much sooner. When they turn, they turn quickly. So, uh, so that was that segment. Again, thanks to Liz and Ellie. On Monday, I was also on Fox Business, the Claimant Countdown, wanna thank uh, Ellie Terrett for inviting me on and also Lauren Simonetti who was the host and uh, we also covered the um, the uh, Hurricane Ida and I talked about uh, six of the refiners being fully shut three of the refiners being at 50% capacity and the name of the game was going to be uh, in terms of the price at the pump was going to be how quickly do they get the refiners back on uh, my friend Phil Flynn, who was uh, um, also a panelist, is an energy expert. You should check out his um, uh, daily energy notes. You can get them at the Price Group or just Google Phil Flynn uh, Fox Business and you'll be able to get to his Twitter. Uh, he puts out great daily reports on energy and uh, he was in agreement on that front. The other thing that I had in my notes was that uh, after Katrina, um, Bush released 30 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Uh, Biden has offered to do that. I think one company has already taken him up on that. And then the other thing you see is the impact on natural gas prices, which no one's really talking about. But the Haynesville Shale, um, uh, which we have exposure to with Comstock, that's um, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, big big natural gas play. He was buying it in the last two years when no one wanted it. That's how he got rich the first time and bought the um, bought the bought the Cowboys in the early '90s from the play in the '80s when no one wanted energy in gas fields. Um, uh, half the gas rigs in the country are located in the Haynesville Shell, so those got shut down. You're seeing natural gas prices spike. Uh, natural gas stocks doing extremely well. Uh, but the question that Lauren actually asked me, I was prepared for oil, uh, and, uh, and she asked about the Fed. And I said that uh, basically what you had with the Fed was a situation where uh, it's like the bartender at 2 a.m. who turns up the lights but keeps serving the liquor. Uh, and, um, you know, that's, that's exactly what the Fed said. We want to take the punch bowl away. We want to take the punch bowl away, but they keep serving the drinks. And with today's jobs report miss by, by about two-thirds the estimates, uh, the drinks are going to keep coming. The bar is going to stay open even if the lights are on and they're, they're warning about, uh, uh, about closing down. So on that basis, um, you know, we, we talked about, uh, again, the, the servicers, the producers, EOG, Schlumberger, and Energy Transfer and Refiners, Philip 66. We'll get into a few of those on the call. Want to thank um, Lauren and Ellie for having me on that. And then moving right along, uh, there's Lauren Simonetti, by the way. And then I was on Cheddar also on Monday. 
and I was on with Alicia Nieves and want to thank Ali Thompson for inviting me on. Kristen Scholler was also co-hosting with Alicia and uh, Courtney McGee was helping Ali Thompson with production. And this was a great segment. We really were able to get into a lot of great detail. If you have a second to watch it, um, check out the HD version directly on Cheddar. It's even better quality. Uh, so what we went into the, you know, the first thing that we covered on this was that obviously we've had the fastest doubling of the S&P 500 in history off the pandemic lows. Uh, now about 53 new all, 53 or 54 new all-time highs in 2021 for the S&P 500. And many are now looking at this as a reason for the market to crash. Uh, however, history shows that strength begets strength and not to expect major weakness until the Fed pulls the punch bowl away. And we just found out today that the punch bowl being pulled away is going to be uh, later than most people expected before the jobs report today. And um, uh, that's number one. Number two is sure a three percent or five percent pullback is always in the cards and we'd expected at the beginning of this year we'd get a handful of those and and we've got you know four or five of those three percent pullbacks year to date but to get to to the ten percent uh you know that that wouldn't be surprising at all i, I do think that's coming uh, early next year once the taper is is implemented if not more but to get to 20%, you need a recession. And uh, you know, 15, 20%, you need a recession. And you're not getting any type of recession until the yield curve inverts. And the fact of the matter is the yield curve is as steep as it's been in the last five years. Uh, yeah, you know, it went straight up in terms of the 210 ratio, but it's still dramatically elevated, number one. Uh, number two, it's, it's not even materially coming down. And number three, it's gonna continue to steepen after the taper begins so until they choke off credit uh, and then historically you have six to 18 months till the peak of the market so not only are we not even coming down towards inversion we're steep as we've been we're going to get steeper uh and um and we're not even inverted if we were inverted then i'd say okay we got six to 18 months uh to, to run here the stock market is going to continue to go up but but we're not even near there so for everyone trying to scare people out of their um, ability to make money with these 15 and 20 percent calls don't do it the 10 percent look you know you should get a 10 percent uh, correction every 18 months that's on average i just think it's going to be delayed until um early next year because of uh, the situation we have with unprecedented money supply growth, unprecedented liquidity, and now the green light that that is staying in place for at least another, you know, three to five months, you know, three to four months, three to five months, somewhere in that ballpark. So uh, when the music's playing, you got to dance. And as uh, Lauren Simonetti said, uh, but Tom is dancing near the exits. <laughs> so, uh, I, so, so that's that. Um, the other thing this was uh we covered uh, the the other key factor is why the market continues to go up is because earnings continue to go up just a handful of months ago about six months ago 2021 2022 estimates were expected to be 200 dollars for the s p 500 earnings uh they've now they're now knocking on the door right around 220 dollars we think they're going to get closer to 230 dollars before the end of the year and at that level uh you know we retain the 22 times multiple 
that, that takes you to 50-60 on the S&P 500, which is in the range of what we're seeing from U UBS, Credit Suisse, and uh, Goldman Sachs strategists in the last few weeks. We also covered with Alicia uh, two re reopening trades we really liked. Uh, Boeing, we covered uh, the same one that we covered for uh, Liz. And uh, Baxter, which is a medical device company, we said what at that on that day it was rumored that they might be buying um, Hillrom Holdings, and we said with or without the deal. Obviously, with the deal, Hillrom is more um, hospital equipment. Baxter is more medical devices, but the synergies would be amazing with the pent up demand from all the people delaying procedures and visits due to. COVID and now Delta, uh, the pent-up demand for their products would be phenomenal. And if, if the deal got together, you'd have even greater synergies, which the deal got together today or yesterday, uh, I think overnight. So 156 bucks a share in cash. Uh, and that's going to be a monster. And that thing is taken off this week. So uh, for those of you who are watching Cheddar, kudos if you picked up Baxter and um, and and Boeing, we, we really like. So um the other thing that um, we covered on that was uh, Zoom was reporting earnings in real time. Uh, and the point that I made about Zoom and Zoom, you know, um, blanked the bed, uh, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> I don't know a kinder way to say that. But, uh, you know, what I said was, you know, they, I think they beat on the top line and the bottom line, but growth was slowing. And I said, look, you know, price is what you pay and value is what you get. You know, Zoom has certainly built a brand moat. Uh, there's no question about it. The business will continue to grow. People will continue to use and adopt it. But at 25 times sales and 72 times next year's earnings, uh, with a growth rate that's going to be dramatically slower than it was year on year from, you know, uh, over the past 18 months, how much are you going to want to pay? And I think this, this stock's going to need to find its level at a multiple that's more in line with the expected growth and whether or not it can retain that brand moat moving forward, which I, you know, I think it's a great business and I think they, they're going, going to be able to do some good things. It's become kind of like the Kleenex of tissues. Zoom is, you know, um, uh, for for the, those kind of uh, tile meetings, informal meetings, all the professional um, TV people use Skype still, so uh, that's what I use when when they have me on remotely. Um, you know, Skype really missed the boat. I mean, they, everyone had Skype on their computer and they couldn't figure out how to do the tiles. <laughs> so um, unbelievable. Zoom came out of nowhere and just took their business. Uh, but the same thing happened to Microsoft on mobile. Like, uh, you know, they totally missed the boat with that and they're still doing incredibly well. So I guess to each his own. No, one, no one's perfect. Um, so that's that. Thanks again to Alicia and Ali for having me on. Then last night I was on Channel News Asia, Singapore. This is like the big station in all of Asia. They broadcast out of Singapore. It's like the equivalent of the BBC in England. This is, uh, you know, kind of their public station that everyone watches and, you know, huge viewership. And want to thank Marianne Star Inake for having me on and Olivia Marzuki, who, um, uh, helps her with production and then Henry Yin was the host who interviewed me and uh, this was a new audience we covered a lot of the material that we went through with uh, Alicia on Cheddar but we also covered they had some key questions about um, 
about uh, energy prices and um, also about the US dollar. So we covered a number of things uh, as it relates to the dollar was the weakness going to stay in, and was uh, energy going to stay bid and if you look at the seasonality uh, over the last 20 years the dollar tends to be weak over these last three months August, September, October and um, uh, as far as energy the commercials have been net buyers we had a huge draw this week I think 7.9 million barrels Commercials have been net, net buyers of crude in the last few weeks, despite the slight, um, uh, you know, what will be a short-term um, minor disruption in demand due to all the people in, in that area that got hit. However, if you look at overall products, if you read Phil Flynn's note, uh, this week was the highest ever, even pre-pandemic. Overall energy products, distillates, uh, energy, etc., so, you know, people are getting out and about with their life. So, you know, we, we may have a short-term bottom in. It wouldn't surprise me either way. And with the dollar staying seasonally weak for the next couple of months, we think in the short term, uh, oil should retain its strength uh, and the dollar should retain its weakness. But what we were more interested in than the commodity is the, the stocks have lagged in the last four to eight weeks and that's really the opportunity and again you know uh on the production we like eog on the services we like Schlumberger. on the refiners we like Philip 66 and on the uh, midstream uh transport we like energy transfer so uh so that was that and then they were also going to ask um about key risks Obviously, the, the sleeping giant is going to be what the tax deal looks like moving forward. Do they go, they want to go 28%. I think they'll wind up at 25% on the corporate tax. That's the most important. And then capital gains uh, for people earning over a million dollars. They want to go to ordinary income, which is, you know, bananas. But it, it, it's, it's actually a small part of the stock market uh, relative to institutionals. Most institutions don't pay tax. Uh, so it wouldn't have a huge impact, but it would be a stupid thing to do uh, if they wind up doing it, which I, I think is, is lower probability. And, um, and, th and that's that. So I want to thank um, Marianne and Henry for having me on there. And then finally, want to thank Devik Jane, wanted my comments after the jobs report this morning for Reuters. And my, my uh, comment was, the bad news is that they missed uh, estimates by two-thirds of expectations. The good news is it gives Fed cover to push off tapering, just means more Fed for longer. My guess is the announcement will be in November instead of September. And the implementation probably late this year or more likely early next year. Uh, beginning taper in October is now officially off the table. Uh, that was Bullard's hope. So bad news is good news is the name of the game with the jobs report. So I, I can't say any, add anything more on that. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. So a couple other things I want to bring up here. Um, okay. So let's go to ask me anything questions for the week. We've got uh, a good number here. Hey, Tom, is IYR due for a healthy pullback? That's the REIT um, ETF. I think you've asked this question before. 
My, uh, here's a picture of the uh, IYR. My general view here is, you know, could it push higher? You bet, especially now that the Fed's going to stay in the market for another three, four months, buying 80 billion of treasuries and 40 billion of mortgage-backed securities. But for my money, uh, I think w without fail over the next six months at some point we're going to get down into the mid mid 90s this thing's going to take a break and get defended somewhere here where all the volume is this thing has moved up pretty fast and I, I think it is going to take a break whether it goes to 118 before it goes down to you know 95 97 i have no idea but uh this thing is uh headed back towards where the volume is headed back to to the 200 for a touch long term if you're not looking in the next handful of months you know uh, real estate's a great inflation hedge. Incomes are going to go up. Uh, it, it's perfectly fine. But for new money, I, I wouldn't put new money to work here. That's for damn sure. If I owned it for a long time, I'd, I'd continue to hold it. If I was a trader, I'd probably lighten up in phases and then look to, uh, to re-add it down here if I wanted to get cute. So that's that. Uh, next question. Uh, that was from Ben First Name Only. He's had, asked quite a few this week. Uh, okay, this is an odd one, but I'll, I'll, I'll address it. You're obviously well-connected and have been researching pharmaceutical companies for, for years. For those of us who haven't yet taken the plunge, uh, which vaccine would you choose and why? Uh, you know, at, look, when the vaccines came out, you, you took whatever was available uh, soonest. Uh, for the, those pe people who are making a decision now with, uh, with all of the information at your disposal, I you know i think that uh number one i'm not a doctor so this is not advice this is just opinion i would go with you know if i had to make a decision today uh i would go with the one the only one that's fully approved as of today is pfizer all the rest are the j and j and the moderna are um emergency authorization which is perfectly fine you know uh, generally is go with what you can but um but uh, pfizer is the the one that's fully approved at the moment and um you know if you're getting it on the basis of your employer demanding it uh they're probably going to want the two vaccinations versus the one shot uh that j and j provides so uh that's that second question when there's a sudden big move during the day what's a good website to quickly explain what event triggered the move on a very timely basis hopefully much quicker than zero hedge or cnbc uh, you know, there are a couple people on Twitter, if you don't have a Bloomberg terminal, uh, that post the Bloomberg news, basically, that comes across the news feed. One is this guy, Walter Bloomberg, uh, at Delta One. Uh, and then you, I think once you join him, you'll see a bunch of others, like BNO News is here, um, News Desk. So there's a few, but this Walter Bloomberg puts out a lot of the critical post in real time you could also go to the top of twitter and just enter a ticker you know dollar sign baba or dollar sign whatever and it'll pull up all, all the most recent news on that particular ticker um so you know you see if you click here and then rather than go to top because that's usually the oldest you go to latest and you'll you'll come up with a bunch of junk but you know if there's something important to uh, focus on it's there but I, I'd say Walter Bloomberg and then whatever other things like B&O News there's some trade desk things that that post you'll see them in all caps 
If they're in all caps, it means they're copy and pasting it off their Bloomberg terminal. And that's a free way to just get a, a Bloomberg, you know, decent Bloomberg feed and, and know what's going on in real time when you're wondering what's happening. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, okay, next, final question from Ben, first name only. I love this question, by the way. He says, uh, Tom, podcast question, please. Why do corporations buy... Uh, why do corporations do stock buybacks when prices are near highs? Wouldn't it make more sense to buy low in order to receive more shares and to prop up their company's low and falling prices? Thanks, Ben. <laughs> this, is, this is literally the, the billion dollar question. Um, in 2009, I was at a hedge fund and we, we had control of this company, GP Strategies, GPX. And down here, we were telling management, it was literally in the $3 range to, you need to buy back as much stock as humanly possible. And, and the, the CEO was so nervous, he didn't wanna do it. Uh, the board was nervous, no one wanted to do it. When it was on sale, no one wanted it. Um, and uh, sure enough, um, uh, the uh, head of the hedge fund I was at, you know, said, we're doing this and they did it and sure enough they bought a ton of stock at the bottom and um uh and and the stock went from you know three dollars to thirty dollars over the next you know three or four years 10x return but that's unusual you know most of these companies don't and and the issue is when the stock's at thirty dollars it means the whole industry and the whole stock market's doing well so they're looking for ways to put the cash to work because they're making money, they're generating cash. Um, and then they look to do deals and all of the other companies are trading at huge valuations. So then they're like, well, I don't want to do deals, but we got to get the stock moving up. And then, you know, the smart thing to do is invest it in your own business where you think you can get a, a better return on, on equity. Uh, but they don't because also their incentives it's the principal agent pro problem. Their comp incentives are aligned with the stock price going up. And if they can't generate the, the growth organically, or if they think it's gonna take too long, they, they frequently wanna buy. And then finally, is there human beings? They're not market participants. So uh, when everything's great, they, you know, they wanna buy the breakout. And often the breakouts are false breakouts and they crash. That's not when you wanna buy it. You wanna buy it when no one wants it. Uh, and the underlying business is fine. And there's some, you know, um, reason for, the, for a good quality business to be misappraised, which we cover on a weekly basis. Uh, you wanna be buying in here, you don't wanna be buying up here. And the same goes for corporate management. The problem is, is these guys don't spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week for decades studying market histories. They're too busy running their business. And being a successful business operator is entirely different skill than being a successful investor and market operator. So um, you just hope that you have some quality people on the board, like when we force their hand to, to do the buybacks at three and four dollars. Um, but oftentimes you don't. So um, as a matter of fact, Jim Cramer was on with United Wholesale Mortgage Corp uh, talking about the buyback. And I emailed with him and, and you know, the conclusion was clear. There's no one on the board that understands float. I mean, no one, no one on that, they, they got an unbelievable business, uh, but there, there's no one to guide them in, in how to control the float and, and 
they should cut the dividend, double the buyback authorization, and have a four bagger in in two years. Uh, but but they're amazing business operators, and they have no concept of uh, how to manage that. So hopefully they'll get the right guidance and and do it. But but most corporations and boards uh, just simply don't have that um, because you know oftentimes the best business you know market investors you know don't want to don't want to sit on a board uh, for a hundred thousand dollars a year and waste you know ten days a year traveling and sitting in board meetings it's 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 not a highly productive use of time uh, so you hope you get an activist or or something else but uh, but that's why they do it they're, they're basically like you know they're like they're no different from the public because they don't do investing for a living and their incentives are aligned with buying at stupid points versus buying at the right points so um, uh, it's probably not going to change. And if you find a management that gets it, then, you know, that that's one you want to stick with for a long time. As far as the jobs report today, um, you know, it was uh, not good. Uh, they were expecting 750,000 job ads. They got uh, less than a third of that. And the big loser was... Um, uh, Leisure and Hospitality, they added 415,000 last, last month. They added zero this month. Uh, education, uh, healthcare and social assistance, they added 43,000. They, uh, they lost 4.6,000 this month. Um, and then a couple other high, retail trade lost 28,000. So, you know, you've seen, if you, if you turn on the news for the last 35 days, it's just been a scare fest with Delta. Um, and, you know, that has impacted behavior. That's the bad news. The good news is it keeps the Fed in the market longer and all this will bounce back. Uh, as we've seen a number of states rolling over, hopefully the whole country starts to roll over on these Delta cases in the next, uh, you know, few weeks. And, uh, and these numbers can start to pick up towards the end of the year. Um, and that's that. Uh, want to talk a little bit about China. We don't have to talk about it as much because these things, these are starting to bounce now, which is good news. Uh, the more they work, the less we'll have to talk about it. Um, but, um, you know, if you look at the China economic data, if you recall six or so months ago, I was on CGTN saying Chinese governance made a huge mistake by tightening too soon. They're going to have to reverse it. Well, now that the economic data is coming in weaker, every single one of their numbers in the last month has missed, with the exception of inflation. That has exceeded on the upside. Um, so, uh, so the only thing that they did better, than, better, i.e. worse than expected, was they had more inflation than they anticipated. But, but as far as their growth, it's all been below estimates. Uh, and uh, that's the bad news. The good news is now they're reversing course. And part of what put in the bottom in these stocks in the last week or so has been, number one, it's just all the sellers. Are, there's, no, there's no sellers left. Everyone that was left to sell, they puked them out in August, uh, number one, and number two, or they liquidated in August. And number two, um, um, the Chinese government, as much as they've beaten down on their own businesses, they've now come to the conclusion that they've tightened too soon. So they, what, they re reduced the reserve requirements for banks. We covered that last month to allow $154 billion more of loans to small businesses. But now it's, uh, last week when I was on uh, Kitco, we talked about they committed to increasing the monetary base uh, uh, and liquidity 
as needed. So they're going to increase money supply. And with these numbers continuing to come in bad, we think the stimulus is going to go up and up and up. And then the other thing Sorry, is um, the other thing is that um, uh, their edu you know they they turn their education stocks basically into nonprofits over the summer, which is what caused the the last leg of the sell off. Uh, but now, uh, this is an article from Technode, um, China EdTech giants cut tens of thousands of jobs. So they're going to have the blowback. Uh, Technode calculated that the EdTech sector lost at least 48,000 jobs in the last couple of months uh, and more to come. So they're going to have probably about, from that decision over the summer, they're probably going to have about 100,000 jobs. And I think they're 250,000 total. So let's call it 150,000 jobs. And, you know, it's interesting. I've seen this in so many things in life. People have success and then they they shift their focus from growth and making more to saving and protecting what they have. And what happens invariably when they shift their focus from growth to preservation is life is not static. You're either moving forward at every moment in time or you're moving backward. There is no there is no static. And, um, and when you shift your focus from growth to preservation or control, uh, invariably you lose and you recede and, and you retreat. And that's what's happened to the Chinese government and the Chinese economy. While they've done these crackdowns, while they've done this tightening, uh, they're getting the after effects of what they started last year with the Ant financial delay and creating this tech uh, slowdown and uh, now all their numbers are missing. Retail, all their consumer confidence, their manufacturing, et cetera, it's all missing. And now they're gonna have to step in with stimulus, which is gonna be great, and it's gonna cause it to go up. But, um, uh, you know, th this happens over and over. I've seen it with uh, hedge funds. You know, they, uh, they move to a tax-favorable domicile uh, like the Virgin Islands, like, you know, different places to save on taxes. And invariably, their eye, something changes with their shift and their performance goes to crap, number one. Number two, living on an island with nothing to do, they, they all wind up, you know, drinking too much. Uh, so that probably doesn't help their performance either. And, um, and three, it's, it's uh, preservation is, there is no such thing as preservation. You're moving forward or back. So always keep your eye on growth. Always keep your eye on expansion. Always keep your eye on, you know, moving to the next level. And Chinese government is now learning this the hard way and they will reverse course and they will turn this around and the market's starting to discount the, that change. Uh, now you're seeing a little change in headlines on Bloomberg. Chinese tech stocks rally to start the week as investors eye, eye the bottom. Uh, so we're seeing seeing some money start to come in. Uh, also, this um, uh, professor from NYU who I like, um, Ajwath, uh, here it is, Aswath Damodaran. He's a value tilt guy. Uh, he's now come out and saying Alibaba and Tencent look cheap, even with the China crackdown risks. In other words, it's like the worst of the worst is priced in. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like it's time to buy. Um, and um, and then you got this last thing. This um, um, what do they call this? Sacrifice to the gods. Alibaba pledges 15.5 billion of their 85 billion dollar cash hoards to the common prosperity push. So they're getting ahead of the curve before the government takes it from them. They're giving it to them. 
And, uh, you know, the market didn't like it overnight, but it, I think Alibaba probably closed just around flat or in line with the general indices. So it's, it's just shrugging off the bad news. If you remember Boeing throughout the last year, it was just bad news every single day and the stock kept ticking up and up. And we still love, we really like Boeing here, uh, which we'll talk about. So, um, uh, the, the key thing is now that these stocks are generally moving up in concert on bad news. So that is, is exactly what you always see with, with a bottom. And, um, you know, here, Tencent snapped up by China traders after two months sell-off. And this was after they announced um, kids could only play three hours of video games now. And by the way, when you break down, I think JD... Of their online gaming revenue, 2.6% of the revenue is from youth players. So it, it doesn't affect the top and bottom line. It's just the headline that gets everyone scared with the Chinese government taking actions. But let's just take a look at all Chinese large cap uh, ADR stocks here. Over the past couple of weeks, you're just seeing them start to find bottoms after huge sell-offs. Find bottoms, find bottoms, find bottoms fine bottoms pretty much everyone they're starting to bounce in the last week and a half two weeks uh and uh and that that's a good sign where's um there's jd nice bounce there's baba off the lows so so that's that and then um the other thing that we've been talking about for a while is small caps doing nothing since february been going sideways they started to get a run the last couple of weeks and uh but they haven't broken out yet so we're going to keep an eye on that as it relates to reopening jacob sonenshine of barons wrote this article uh, a couple days ago small caps might be getting ready to run and his basis was a luthold group article i don't know if it was by jim paulson i really like jim paulson uh over there but uh, okay, so the fact that valuations are reasonable could pro provide more fuel. The average one-year forward earnings multiple for stocks in the S&P 600, that's a small cap, <coughs> is about 0.75 times that of the average for the S&P 500, according to the Luthold Group. Group That's down from earlier in the post-pandemic recovery when small cap multiples were almost 1.5 times those of the S&P 500. It's also lower than the average of almost 1.1 times dating back to 1995. So that's a great valuation call. Uh, earnings growth expectations are also rising faster for small caps than large caps. The aggregate earnings per share estimate for the next year for S&P 600 companies is now 40% of that of the S&P 500 up from a pandemic era low of about 19%. Uh, usually when small cap prof profit forecasts are growing faster than those for large cap, the small caps outperform Luthold's data shows. Uh, but since mid-March, the small caps have underperformed large stocks, implying a potential surge that would allow them to catch up. To be sure, underperforms could also indicate small cap earnings estimates are bound to come down, though small caps prices are likely cheap if economic growth is, is to truly remain strong. So I like that story. I like the setup and it's in line with the, the reopening trade coming back uh, the late third quarter, early fourth quarter, as we've been talking about for five or six months uh, since it slowed down after uh, mid Q2. 
Uh, same thing with the Dow. The Dow is finally starting to get some legs, break out again. The Dow is more of a reopening trade than a stay-at-home trade. Um, other in other news, Joe Manchin is kind of putting the rain, pulling the reins in on this 3.5 trillion and 1.2 trillion, which is good. My my guess is they wind up slamming something through something through anyway. But it's good to see there is some check and balance until the midterms. Uh, hopefully they will do something more reasonable than than just another five trillion after the economy's re- recovered because that will have long-term consequences uh so yeah baxter got done at 156 dollars. we called that on monday on cheddar so that was nice to see let's look at the overall market here and get a sense just a barometer of where we are uh we're getting closer to on most of these um uh, most of them are kind of neutral to the higher end of the range. So, you know, if you've had huge runs, you, you know, maybe you lighten up. But but again, most of these are, you know, kind of neutral, neutral. This one's a little extended, the uh, NASDAQ cumulative volume ratio. So keep an eye on that. Um, this one is neutral, neutral, low, you know, for the NYSE, again, as it relates to the reopening trades. So that's why we're going to talk about rallies under the surface and and go through a bunch of stocks today because um if you're just focused on the uh general indices it's kind of this middle of nowhere thing so you got to find those things that are extremes on the low end to buy and on the high end to lighten up um neutral neutral kind of low end low end uh high end higher end uh Dow Jones uh, buy all is on the low end. So again, that that's in line with the reopening. So it looks like kind of the uh, stay at home is is a lot of them are towards the higher end and some of them starting to roll over like the Zooms, like the Pelotons, like some of those. And the reopenings are in neutral to the lower end where you could you can find some bargains. And that's where we're going to focus this call. Um, emerging markets, by the way, this is interesting. This is on the low end. I think this is really interesting, and this table is from Bank of America Global Research. Emerging market uh, stocks versus the S&P 500 are approaching 20-year lows versus the S&P 500, and you all know what happened if you bought in this range between uh, 2000 and 2002. It was the biggest run in emerging market, market stocks in history. That's also in line with our view on above trend inflation and a commodities boom and oil. Uh, so, you know, I think this is probably, if, if you had to look at it, you know, 2016 was probably the first uh, shot, uh, shot over the bow, like 97. Then we rallied and rolled back over. And I think we're, I think we're right in here. And I think emerging markets are gonna be a huge opportunity relative to the S&P over the next three to five years. And what's the biggest weight in the emerging markets? China! So, uh, you know, if, if, you, if, if you're still listening, it's because you're not tired of hearing about China because, boy, have we spent a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of air and uh, ink on that over the last uh, handful of weeks. So uh, everything's setting up. It's just being patient through this part before you get the, the reward and the huge prize uh, moving forward. So we, we love that setup, and uh, we think it's going to be awesome. Um, all right, so you know higher end again this is the nasdaq mcclellan is at the higher end but um um, let's 
see, there's a couple other McClellans that are at the lower end. NYSE McClellan summation, that, that's closer to where you want to be a buyer. So again, it's mixed signals. That's why we're not paying attention to the general indices and we're looking at individual stocks. Now let's look at sectors to narrow down. Again, top down, bottom up. So we're going to go from the top. We just kind of just did general market. Now we're going to do sectors, communication services. You know, kind of there's some buy opportunities down at these levels. Um, even the NASDAQ composite, it's kind of neutral here. So there's, there's some that are overvalued that are going to roll over, and there's some that are still undervalued. Like one of the two that we've been hammering on the last four weeks have been Netflix and Amazon, and they've taken huge runs in the last couple of weeks now. So we're going to look at those as well. Consumer discretionary. Again, you know, this is not overdone here. Um, energy. We talked about this exact chart a few weeks ago. I think it was one of Ben's questions. And now we're, we're picking up on these opportunities, which we covered uh, in the media spots this week, uh, if you were paying attention. So, so we like the names that, that we were covered, EOG, um, Energy Transfer, Slumberjay, um, maybe Diamondback Fang, and uh, Philip 66 on the refinery side. Uh, gold miners, we we don't we don't we don't play with them. They never make any money. But um, you know they have they when they have bounces, they're violent. And then just when you think, oh, maybe they're going to be different this time, they're never they're never different. Uh, just a complete uh, <laughs> s show, to put it mildly. Uh, industrials again, there are opportunities here. So we we're going to talk about Raytheon. We're going to talk about Boeing. Um, what else is looking good here? Again, materials, there's some materials here, some chemical companies. Uh, again, NYSE, that's more in line with the reopening trades, looking like a buy area, not a sell area. Even the S&P on a whole is not at an extreme level here in, in terms of bullish percent. This is just a barometer. Uh, consumer staples have come in. There's, there's plenty of opportunities there we'll talk about transports all the airlines all the cruise lines that no one wants there's opportunity this is where you buy not sell um and if it goes against you you, you add and these are simple things so uh so that's top down now we've gone over sectors and now we're going to cover a little bit here's a little more top down this is ryan dietrich i i covered it in one of the media spots i think um maybe it was the asia one last night um Okay, so just because stocks are up a lot doesn't mean the trend can't continue. In fact, it usually does. So he talks about all the years since World War II that the market's up 20% uh, through September. And the punchline is for the rest of the year, the average returns are 4%. Uh, there are exceptions like 1987, but the year still finished positive. I think up 2% for the year, but on balance, strength begets strength is it was the phrase that I used. Uh, now, let's just look at, for everyone calling for big corrections uh, with the general market, rather than fight over whether you're going to get a September swoon because it's seasonally one of the weakest months of the year. Um, but if you actually take out the two biggest crashes, it's, it's on balance positive over 100 years. But leaving that aside, um, you know, let's, let's take a look. You know, here's transports, American Airlines. Does that look like it's going to collapse? Uh, Amgen, you know, these are high quality companies that have pulled back of late. Boeing, we love here. Uh, Baba, you can see now is starting to make a move from 152. It's now at 171. Let's see if it, um, let's see how it closed. 
okay, 151 to 170. So that's moved up, uh, you know, 10% in a week, week and a half. Uh, Baxter, this has already had the move. So, you know, can you chase it here? Maybe, but it, it's had a almost 10% move since we talked about it on Cheddar. Um, Brown Foreman, uh, this is, uh, you know, beverages. Um, th this Does this look like it's going to roll over? This is an opportunity. Uh, Baidu starting to move. Cigna we love. We think this makes new highs by, by January. Uh, we think this is going to push up. It started to push up this week. We've been talking about it for the last three weeks. You can see here. Disney, I think, is always a winner. We were at Disney uh, over the summer. It was great, packed. People just wear their masks. It's business as usual. Obviously, Disney Plus now. All the movies are coming to you directly. You pay your 40 bucks because you would have spent that on popcorn and everyone built a movie theater in their house that didn't have one before COVID and, um, or whatever, a nice TV or whatever. Um, you know, some of these uh, content providers, Discovery and Viacom, they're going to get, at some point, they're going to get bought or merged. They're, they're going to work out. It just might take a little while, but at these levels, they're kind of no-brainers. EOG, we talked about. Energy Transfer, we talked about. Fox Corporation, I think it's a home run. They've got a niche. Again, this is in that content space. They also have Fox Bets. They also have a huge buyback, and they also have great management. Intel, uh, we like this long-term in the semiconductors and tech. This is cheap tech. You don't have to worry about the missing earnings and the stock being down 25% like Zoom. Uh, Lockheed Martin took a breather here. We think this is going to rip higher into year-end. Las Vegas Sands and Wynn, we love the casinos. We think they're going to rip back. Uh, they did loosen up um, uh, some of the travel restrictions in Macau in the last couple of weeks. You can see them bouncing about 10% off the bottom. Uh, so we like uh, Macau and Win um, Las Vegas Sands and Win huge Macau exposure. Uh, Walgreens Boots Alliance, the boosters are coming back. Uh, the buyback, their uh, Boots uh, UK's Delta rolled over, so their Boots is doing better. Uh, we li we like this one uh, into the end of the year, and um, Verizon and AT and T. These are both interesting. They're cheap at these levels. Uh, we like uh, like these both. Um, and AT&T has now become a pure play because they got rid of the content. They'll be able to pay down debt. They are going to cut the dividend. When that's cut in half uh, from 7% to 3%, the stock will rally. There was also rumors yesterday that Buffett is buying um, uh, AT&T in size. It wouldn't surprise me, other than the fact that he owns 150 million shares of, um, of, of Verizon already. So, you know, considering AT&T is going to be a pure play, it's kind of going to be a duopoly. Um, uh, why would he, you know, buy two of the same trade? Although the Verizon position is about $8.9 So in the scheme of things, it's a big position, but it's not like unwieldy big. So would he add more Verizon or would he buy AT&T now that they've cleaned things up? I don't have the answer. I think it's a little fishy. There, you know, it could just be someone starting a rumor to get out of the stock or whatever. But um, I think both of them are fine, to be honest with you. I, it would be a little surprising for him to do two of the same trade. It would, be, it would be like him taking a huge position in Chevron and a huge position in Exxon. It's like basically the same trade, but certainly plausible and... Um, uh, we'll see what happens there. But at these levels, it becomes, you know, a little too cheap to ignore. So again, this is 
So if we got the September swoon that everyone's looking for, I mean, do you think at this, at these levels, do you think Baba is going to get crashed? Like if the if the S and P pulled back five or ten percent, ten percent it won't. But let's just say what everyone's calling for. You think Baba is going to have more pain than it's already had? My guess is it rallies on that. Uh, same with Cigna. You know, the, these stocks are not bubbles. You know, these are tremendous values that are out of favor that you can pick up and in 12 to 24 months you've made a ton of money uh, and you don't lose sleep over they're all large caps they're all you know big caps that type of thing uh, some of the other stocks that we've talked about in recent weeks amazon's making a move i think this has more legs baxter's obviously got more legs the the consumer staples you know we we hit that bottom perfectly They've just been consolidating. I think they'll get their, they'll finally get their second leg into the end of the year, but it's been a long wait through the summer. Same thing with Kimberly Clark. You know, people are now stocking up on toilet paper again. But uh, leaving that aside, I think again, both of these and, and all the staples, even Campbell's beat earnings, I think that's going to come back and surprise everyone into year end. Netflix was a big pick. We actually uh, lightened up on this. It's had such a huge move in a week, almost you know. 15% over the last few weeks since we've been talking about it in our media spots. Uh, so we took off 25% of this. We may take off more. I, I, sorry, not 25%. We took off a third of this, I think. Um, and we'll, we'll probably wind up holding the rest because we do like the content slate. We do like the moat. We like the international growth, which no one focuses on when they say, all oh, this competition's coming up. Well, that's the U.S. Um, so we think this does have more room to run, but that, that was a big move in a short period of time. Uh, and then Splunk, you know, continues to push higher from when we were, remember when it um, S the bed after earnings, we said we're buying more. So that's up from whatever it was, 115 to now 158, you know, maybe one mid 160s, we, we take a little bit off, but uh, we think this has a long way to go over time. And then the article of the week, this is the uh, chasing after you stock market and sentiment results. It's Ryan Hurd and Marin Morris's hit. Uh, and this has effectively been the theme song for managers who've been skeptical of the market rise all year long and were repeatedly forced to chase up. You can read the lyrics here. Um, guess I love chasing after you. Wish I could quit you, but it feels so good. Uh, if I could turn it off, you know I would. Uh, and then, um, but yeah, yeah, I know it's a matter of time till you walk back out of my life, leave me standing here lonely, feeling like a fool. And that's the fear. And that's the wall of worry that this market continues to climb. We covered the media spots already. Uh, Alibaba update. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to watch that Kitco interview from last week, it got like 30,000 views on their site a lot of comments both uh mostly positive surprisingly because most people that leave comments are uh generally not positive but uh a lot of nice nice comments there uh worth checking out if you have an interest in what we've talked about with emerging markets in china um the key update now is that it's rallying on bad news and coming off the skinny branches we discussed last week you can click here for that article and I posted this earlier in the week. Tracy Alloway, she does the um, a really good podcast, Odd Lots with um, Weisenthal, I think is his name. Uh, they have a really popular podcast on Bloomberg called Odd Lots. You can Google it, Joe Weisenthal. Um, and she put this out on Monday. 
Over the past 24 hours, China has restricted the amount of time kids can play on online games to three hours a week, vowed to crack down on private equity, described crackdowns as a profound revolution and a return from the capital group to the masses of the people. And it was in that uh, uh, she was just reporting the facts and they were correct. And I said, China stocks up overnight on this news while stocks rallying on bad news doesn't always mean a bottom. Bottoms generally don't happen without this type of action. So uh, I think that's there. This is the chart we've been using the last few weeks showing where the volume is and where it should be defended and the overshoot like we saw here. Uh, and it's working its way back up from this overshoot. So we, we hope we see continued uh, follow through on this in coming weeks. And, um, and then I put some commentary. So when the fundamentals are thrown out the window, structurally de structural deleveraging has created massive dislocation and sentiment on the group is at an all time low. Here's what usually happens next. Initial buying comes from short covering and begins to accelerate. Cautious dip buyers start loading up with call options because they want to limit their risk and try to catch the run. And that forces the dealers who sell the call options to buy stock in order to hedge and buy it in institutional quantities the dealers are selling to institutions. And that, that causes more people to cover their shorts. And what happens is the worst part is the rally starts to move in a way that doesn't let anyone in on the way up. And we saw it last year with banks and energy as and we uh, foretold it the way we're trying to foretell this. And um, uh, so what I said was, there will be no interest in this stock until it's up 75% off its recent lows. The same thing happened with Wells Fargo. The same thing happened with ExxonMobil. Often the first move is violent. No one believes it. And by the time they do, they're, quote, waiting for it to retest the lows so they can get in. That retest never comes. And once the coast is clear and headlines turn positive after a 75% move, the trap door is open, and once again, they take out the late money, they take out the weak, weak hands, they take them out to the woodshed, and they shoot them. And that's when you can buy, if you miss the first run up, um, you, you'll be able to buy, again, not, not anywhere near these levels, but you know, if you got to run up to you know, 265 or somewhere in that range, uh, you know, you'd probably see a pullback to 210, and that's your second chance for the long term when this eventually becomes a 400, 500, and, you know, if you're looking a decade out, maybe $600 stock. But um, uh, so, so that's that. We said this would happen in the S&P in March of 2020. Uh, energy and banks last year when they were being sold off even harder than Chinese stocks last month. You can scroll to the bottom of this article and see all the... the uh, past um, articles and commentary we did last year when these things were playing out. And you'll see that the commentary was very much like what we're trying to lay out here uh, with the Chinese stocks. Could this be, time be different? Absolutely, it could be different. We could be completely wrong. Uh, it can always be different. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to manage your risk. And hint, you do have to manage your risk. <laughs> uh, but that said, when the fundamentals are ignored, technicals are broken, and sentiment is beyond despondent, a violent rally that lets no one in on the way up is usually the prescription. Wait until everyone wants the shares again and then help them out by giving them what they want after you're up 75%. Always remember, opinion follows trend. So for those of you on the podcast, you're going to get cut off in a minute. Just go to hedgefundtips.com, click on the video cast. You just fast forward the YouTube video to minute 60, 
and you'll you'll pick up right where you let off for the left off for the last five or ten minutes of the podcast. We've got some uh, other important stuff to cover. And um, as always, for everyone, go to hedgefundtips.com. Click on terms. This is opinion, not advice. Talk to your financial advisor. Um, uh, we don't know your situation. And okay, moving right along, we have the AAII sentiment. So retail people got a little more bullish. They also got a little more bearish. So the neutral came down, a big divergence there. Um, and then fear and greed was a neutral read this week at right in the middle at 57. Uh, so again, a lot of confusion for the general indices. Managers chased up. Let me just see where they came in uh, because that usually prints right after we do the 